All the focus right now is on Aaron Rodgers, and with good reason, but we have a draft that's beginning tomorrow. Today we're going to talk about how difficult it's going to be to match last year's draft class for the Jets, potential trade-down partners, and what their strategy should be on the Locked On Jets podcast. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, this is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Wednesday, April 26th, 2023, and I'm your host, John B. from GangGreenNation.com, thanking you for making the show your first listen or first watch every day. Subscribe to this podcast for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so that you'll get new episodes as soon as they're posted. If you're listening on a podcast source, please give the show a five-star review, and if you're watching on YouTube, please give this episode a big thumbs up. These things help the podcast out and help other Jets fans find Locked On Jets. Today, Aaron Rodgers will be introduced to the media at 2 p.m. Eastern time. The focus for the Jets is all on Aaron Rodgers right now, and there's good reason for that, but the NFL Draft begins tomorrow night, and today we're going to have our weekly mailbag show, and we're going to talk about, we'll probably talk about Rodgers a little bit, but a lot of the Questions this week are focused on the NFL draft. So let's begin. And our first question, John, the Jets seem to have a core of impactful players at the most impactful positions. Do you think the Jets will be able to replicate another stellar draft class? And what would your ideal scenario be? Trade down, move up, draft a certain player, overall approach, things like that. I think that it's going to be very, very difficult for the Jets to match what they did last year. And that's for one very simple reason. Last year, the Jets had two top 10 picks and four picks in the top 40. And I remember last year after the draft that I made the point, because everybody was praising the Jets draft class, and people were talking, like, this is amazing. How did they pull this off? Well, the answer was very simple. They had a lot of early picks. Having a lot of early picks is good. When you have four of the top 40 picks, when you have two of the top 10 picks, if you don't leave that draft and people think you've hit a home run, something has gone wrong. Because you you've had all the resources you need, of course you of course you your class looks better than everybody else. You got more of the top prospects, so and I don't want to take anything away from what the Jets did because as we know, you can very easily mess up top picks. I mean, we've seen that plenty through the years. So I, I I don't want to take away any credit from what the Jets did last year because you, you still have to hit on the picks. And the Jets, for the most part, it seems like they've hit on the picks. But when you have that many early early selections, it makes life much easier on you. If you have the resources to come away with, if you do your homework and if you make the correct evaluations, you have the resources to come away with virtually a who's who of the top prospects in the draft class. This year, it's different. This year, the Jets only have five picks going in at the moment, and they have reduced their draft capital over the last couple of days, and that's through, of course, the Aaron Rodgers trade. They only have one pick in the top 40 this year. Their second pick is 43. They don't have any picks in the top 10. Their current pick is 15. So... It's going to be much tougher this year, both in terms of quantity, only five picks, and as we know, the draft is very inexact. If you look historically, and there have been studies on this, the teams that draft the best tend to be the teams that have the most picks because you have to build in a margin for error. I think every year I get some email during the season complaining that the Jets have not hit on 50% of their picks, that they've less than half of the Jets' draft picks look good. 
but that's common. The best drafting teams don't hit 50%. There's no team that has a 50% hit rate, which you need, you need to hit on enough players. And the way you hit on enough players is to have excess picks. So the Jets going into this draft with five picks makes it very difficult. And as we've discussed, and you everydayers who listen to this podcast Monday through Friday, it's a daily podcast, you everydayers know that I've been talking about the general consensus is that this is not a deep draft class. This is a class that really is, is one of the worst classes, maybe in a decade. That does not mean you're incapable of finding quality players. It just means it's tougher. So what's my ideal strategy? Well, I think the problem is that there are conflicting things here. And on the one hand, the Jets are trying to win the Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. And if you look at the needs of this team, I mean, there are two that really stand out right now above all else. That's offensive tackle and defensive tackle. Both tackle spots are, are in shaky position. Offensive tackle, I understand you could, could talk yourself into Dwayne Brown, squeezing another season out of Dwayne Brown. You can talk yourself into maybe Mekhi Becton comes back and is healthy. Do you think both of those are going to happen, though? I mean, that's a lot to ask. I guess it's possible, but I think one of the problems we have at this time of year is we talk ourselves into, like, the best possible case scenario, that nobody's going to get injured, everybody's going to continue to play close to their level that they were at in their prime, but it doesn't always work out that way. And it's not something you can bank on. I think for the Jets, that's an awful lot. I think one of those is an awful lot to ask. Two of them might be too much. And on the defensive side of the ball, they never, they simply have not replaced Sheldon Rankins. I mean, it's that simple. They, they had a guy leaving free agency who has yet to be replaced. And then there are other spots that where there's probably an upgrade necessary at the skill, skill positions because after Garrett Wilson, this is a, you know, it's it's not a great group. I mean, it's it's not it's not the, the level where you, you know, maybe nine years ago when the Jets were sending guys like David Nelson out there. I mean, these are Alan Lazard, Nicole Hardman. These are credible NFL players, but they're not great. So there's a lot that needs to be filled, I think, on the other, you know defensive side of the ball. You could use another edge rusher. You could use a safety. You could use a linebacker. There's plenty that needs to be filled, and there are some really high-priority needs. But on the other hand, the draft is also about drafting players who are going to be with you for a long time. And it's going to be very difficult to, I mean, you're, it's going to be impossible to fill all those holes with the picks you've got. It's going to be impossible to fill all those holes, even if you trade down. But I feel like the Jets really ought to be looking at trading down in this year's draft because, first of all, they don't have enough picks. It's very, very difficult. It's, it, the re, again, I go back to the reason the Jets did so well last year is because they had all those early picks. Having a lot of picks makes makes it more likely you draft well. Having few picks makes it likely you'll draft makes it more likely you'll draft poorly. So the Jets need more picks. And beyond that, I think that there's kind of a temptation in a what's viewed as a thin draft class to think, well, there's only so many good players, we better move up and get one of them. Well, the problem with that is again, the draft is very inexact. You've got to figure out if a guy you know is going to take to your playbook. You gotta figure out if a guy's gonna maintain the same work ethic after he gets millions of dollars. You got to hope that the guy doesn't get injured. The, the, drafting is real. The, there's a reason that less than half of draft picks hit. And I think the first round, the hits, the hit rate's about 50%. It goes down after the first round. So people talk as though the entire draft class, you need to hit, you need to have a 50% hit rate. In reality, like the first round, about half the players who are picked never justify their status. It's very inexact. And I think that there's more variation in a year like this where there are so few great prospects. I think any front office, you know, almost any front office is going to be able to tell you Sauce Gardner is a great player. It's the prospects who are less obvious who are there this year. Who It's going to require better scouting. It's going to require better work. And it's not easy. 
it's not easy. There's again, there's a lot of imprecision with something like this. So when you're dealing with more flawed prospects, I think you want to have more chances at it. I think you want to have more swings at the bat at your disposal rather than, you know, just trying to put all your eggs in one basket because in a flawed draft class, very easy to make a big mistake. So I guess my strategy ultimately, I would like to see the Jets address tackle both on both sides of the ball. But I think my bigger my bigger issue is that I think they just need more picks because at the end of the day, I don't think they're going to be able to address every single need that they have, even if they trade down. So really this should shift towards just finding the best players possible, you know, guys who will fit your team and play well for a long time. And to do that, I think they will need to trade down. All right, so now you know I want to trade down. Who are some good trade-down partners? I'll give you a few ideas as we continue on this Wednesday mailbag edition of the Locked On Jets podcast. Today's episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by Built Bar. The NFL draft begins tomorrow night. You're going to want to make sure you have some delicious snacks nearby as you watch it. Let me suggest Built Bar. Built is the best-tasting protein bar ever. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're all covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors such as churro, peanut butter brownie, and cookies and cream. And somehow Built does it. They make these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they're healthy. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein in each bar. And now you don't have to wait to get a box. For years we've been talking about ordering Built Bars at Built.com. Of course you can still do that. It's, it's a convenient way to do to get your built bars, but you can also get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. So head to your nearest Walmart today, walk to the pharmacy section, and grab yourself a box of built bars. You can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puff. Or if you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box of hit flavors like brownie batter puff and churro puff. You can thank me later. Thank you for making Locked On Jets your first listener, first watch every day. We continue with our weekly mailbag show. Our next question, I hope that we trade back at least once and see the Eagles as a great fit for either Nolan Smith or Bijan Robinson at 15. I would take 31-62 and both Saints' second-round picks and Philadelphia's second-round pick in 2024. Do you have a trade that makes a lot of sense to you? Would it be Kansas City, Cincinnati, or maybe the Giants? Would you be more inclined to trade 15 or 43? So a number of questions there. I think I would probably be more inclined to trade 15 because you just get more out of it. And again, the Jets are only entering this draft with five picks and not just you every day or people who have been every year. If you go back long enough, you, you may remember I was always upset when Mike McCagnon would come with a draft class low on picks with like Mike McCagnon was famous for having like the six player draft class. I think the Jets need more picks. And I think the way you get them is by trading down. So who are the potential trade down candidates? You know, I think you have to look to the charts. And I, I've long disagreed with the charts value. There's a chart out there that essentially every NFL team used. The Dallas Cowboys developed it in the late 80s, early 90s. Essentially puts a point value on each pick. And that's the way the teams decide how to... That's the essentially the formula teams use to decide how which picks to trade for each other. So the Jets right now own pick 15, which is about... 1,050 points on the chart. So I think you probably have to look Jacksonville at 24 or lower because that's really the point where you could say first plus second round pick adds up to 1,050. The team drafting right right below the Jaguars is the Giants. The Giants have pick 25 and pick 57. So if you add the Giants first and second round picks up, 
that's like a that's actually a direct it's an exact match the giants first and second round picks add up to 1050 which is an exact match for the jets at 15 so you know you look at this i i think that you're probably talking dropping to 24 or lower if you want to get a second round pick now jacksonville Jacksonville's first round pick plus their second round pick is a little bit above what the Jets own. The Jets could probably send a day three pick back to match it out. But I think those are the teams you're looking at. Now, it's difficult to say which specific team will do it, though, because you don't really know where these teams, which what the players these teams value. So it's it's a very difficult question to answer. And essentially, I think what you need is you also need a front office to share the philosophy that I mentioned a little bit earlier. You need a front office to say, well, there aren't many good players here, so we're going to go up and make sure we get our guy, which is always or frequently a very bad draft strategy because when teams trade up, they are frequently overconfident in their ability to evaluate prospects in what's a very imprecise field. Uh, So I'd like to see the Jets trade down. I think trade down from 15 makes more sense than 43 just because you get more for it. And I think that you can still get a good player late in the first round if you know what you're doing even in a thin draft class. And the draft class that this that this year's group is most compared to is from a decade ago, the 2013 draft class, which is generally viewed as a very weak draft class. But DeAndre Hopkins was drafted late in the first round that year. And I think sometimes we overrate how essential it is to have a top pick to get a great player. The fact of the matter is that a a front office that doesn't know what it's doing can mess up a top 10 pick. And that's one of the reasons I want to go back to what I said earlier. You know, I said the Jets had a bunch of early picks last year. Of course, they did well. Still give the Jets credit because the Jets could have messed those picks up. It just makes it easier. But a front office that knows what it's doing can hit late in the first round. So you have to hope that your front office knows what it's doing. And from there, I think if the Jets could add a sec- another second round pick, if they could get that second, you know, they've had a s- two second round picks as of earlier this week. If they could get back into that... Uh, back into that place, I think it would be pretty good. Next question, did we just lose the chance of a one of the top three offensive tackles with the swap from 13 to 15? We've been linked to Broderick Jones for so long. Do you think New England or Green Bay would steal a top three tackle from under us? And would you take Darnell Wright if the big three are gone? I think this is an, this is an interesting question because I think for, in a normal year, dropping from 13 to 15 doesn't make a big difference. For a normal team, dropping from 13 to 15 would not make a big difference. I think the specifics of this situation actually could make it a problem for the Jets for the reasons that was laid out. I'm not sure Green Bay is going to take a tackle at 13, although that's always possible. But dropping from 13 to 15, that means you just went from being in front of New England to behind New England because the Patriots have 14. So you could have been in the position where you would have been able to take a tackle in front of the Patriots. And now, essentially, you're right behind the Patriots. And... New England needs a tackle. So it's not so, you know, I, I know people are going to focus on the Patriots because they're a division rival. And I guess that's true to an extent. I think the bigger issue with New England being in front of you now is New England also needs a tackle. So it makes it less likely that one of the top tackles is going to fall to you. I think that that's so, I, I think that the drop from 13 to 15 this year actually could have a pretty big, it may, it may not have an impact. I mean, Belichick makes some weird picks. If you followed Belichick through the years, he makes a lot of moves you're not expecting, so it may end up, you know, it may end up being a moot point, but it's definitely something to watch, and I think it's definitely something, if you're looking for a tackle, it's something that should concern you, because you just went from being in front of a team that needs a tackle to behind a team that needs a tackle, and I, I don't think the Jets can trade up again. 
I mean, I really think a trade up is off the table at this point with only five picks. I mean, we're going to, we start getting into the range where you're getting a four or three player draft class if you trade up. And I just don't think the Jets can, are in a position where that's something they can afford. So I, I think it could have. Now, would I take Darnell Wright, who's out of Tennessee? I, I would not. I think he's been very inconsistent. I have questions about technique. I have questions about uh, you know, where he can play. I, I think. I think, like, anybody who's drafted in the first round has the potential to be a good player. For me, this would be not the guy I'd be looking for. I think that he's been too, inc- I think he was too inconsistent in college for me to feel good about it. Again, if he takes, if the Jets take him, I mean, I guess you could live with it. I guess you could talk yourself into it. I think any player, again, any player who's drafted in the first round has some skills. It's not that Darnell Wright has no chance of being a good player in this league. I think it's just more that. I, I don't like the bet at 15. I, I think that it's he's not the he's not the guy I would I would be focused on. Now head here on the Lockdown Jets podcast. We will close out this weekly mailbag. We've been talking about the 2023 draft. Let's go back a year. Let's talk about last year's draft class. Let's talk about some players who may be able to emerge, particularly Jermaine Johnson, Jeremy Ruckert. What does 2023 hold in store for them? I'll give you my thoughts ahead here on this Wednesday edition of the Lockdown Jets podcast. This is the Locked On Jets podcast here on this Wednesday mailbag episode. Our next question. Hi, John. Big fan of yours with Sauce and Garrett. You got phenomenal rookie play last year. Ruckert and Jermaine Johnson were a lot less impactful. While I agree the Jets need a defensive tackle, I'm wondering what you think the chances of Jermaine and Ruckert blossoming into starting caliber players are. For my money, I think Ruckert is the best tight end on the team, and Johnson was a tad disappointing. What are your thoughts? Well, let me make a joke that's not really a joke. Ruckert being the best tight end on the team. Do you want to talk about a low bar to clear? Uh, that's it. And there should be every opportunity for Jeremy Ruckert to earn a starting job this year because the tight ends you got are Conklin and Uzama. So, I mean, that's, that's not exactly difficult competition with Jeremy Ruckert. I think Jeremy Ruckert is a wild card. It was a late third-round pick last year. I think when you're talking late third-round picks, and I, you know, I looked this up about a year ago, Probably got about a one in five shot of finding a role player, and that's not a you know people. Yes, one in five means that the odds against any individual player are not that good, but to have an opportunity to you know every year to have a one in five shot at finding a role player, I mean that's that's pretty it's pretty decent odds. I mean twenty percent is not zero. It's not one percent. It's not two percent. I just think Ruckert's a wild card. I think when the Jets drafted him out of Ohio State, he was, you know, he needed some work on his technique. There's a lot of hype about his blocking, but technically he's very inconsistent when he blocks. And I, I think there's like, there's this, this one highlight reel block in Miami that, you know, made its way around the internet. So now everybody thinks Ruckert's an amazing blocker. I think Ruckert has the potential to be a very good blocker. And if you watched him at Ohio State, you know, he was on that team with Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave. And he, so because there was so much and Jackson Smith and Jigba, because there's so much receiving talent, I don't know that you can hold the lack of receiving production against them. There was, there were so many, there were, I mean, there were all these first round receivers on this team at Ohio state. So of course the tight end's not going to get the ball thrown to him much. And beyond that, like, all, all you need to know about uh, that Ohio state team was Jamison Williams had to transfer to Alabama because he couldn't get on the field. I mean, there was so much receiving talent. Jamison Williams had to go to Alabama, not, not like some other school, not some random school, Jameson Williams was good enough to play at Alabama, but he wasn't good enough to get on the field for that Ohio State team. So it, I can't really hold the, the lack of receiving production against Ruckert. He's got to work on I mean, he did not run a, that diverse of a route tree at Ohio State. So these are the things he's, he hopefully has worked on over the last year. 
can he develop? I mean, any developmental player, it's always a wild card. It's difficult to say. Is there an opportunity there? Well, again, look what the Jets have at the tight end position. You're not exactly dealing with uh, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle with the guys that are there. So I do think there's a real opportunity for Rucker to step into a starting role if he earns it. Jermaine Johnson. It's funny because Jermaine Johnson, I think, had like what's more typical of a rookie season last year than what you get from Sauce Gardner and Garrett Wilson. What Sauce and Garrett did was phenomenal. That's not the typical career path for a rookie, though. It's much more like Jermaine Johnson where you get some playing time. You occasionally flash here or there, but, you know, you don't make a big impact. And I think the hope is that in year two it all comes together. And I think for Jermaine, it's either going to come together very quickly or it's not. You know, this is not a guy the Jets drafted as a 21-year-old. He was an older prospect when the Jets drafted him. That means he's more physically mature. So that means that there, there should be less of a runway in theory. It, should be, it means that he should be ready to hit the ground running at this point. You know, he's had his year to get acclimated to the NFL, to learn the playbook, to get used to, you know, playing NFL competition year two. I, I feel like this is a, the make or break year for Jermaine Johnson in a way it may not be for, for another prospect, but I think for Jermaine, I mean, this is pretty much it. It, it. I think year two for him pretty much make or break. Next question. Lots of pretty reasonable misgivings about the Rogers deal. Given what we knew at the time, the, the decisions were made. How would you rank this against the previous major quarterback decisions the Jets have made in recent years? And I'm talking Favre, Sanchez, Darnold, and Wilson. So I guess the question is, how does this deal rank against the other big Jets quarterback decisions? I think it's most comparable to Favre because you're getting a guy for, you know, a very short time. Um, I think that the Jets were a little bit closer to winning a championship with the Favre deal. And I think that, uh, that honestly kind of is just, that that's proven by the fact that the Jets went to the AFC championship game with essentially the same roster the next two years with Mark Sanchez. Now, they did have Rex Ryan, who was a better coach than Eric Mangini, but you know, I think if Favre, I think Favre has an advantage over for two reasons. First of all, the team's closer. Second of all, the Jets really did not give up much for Favre. Now, the disadvantage with Favre was that they got him so late in the summer that, I mean, they got him, like, right, the, I think it was the day before the first preseason game in 2008 that he really did not have time to acclimate to the Jets, and he, he really did, he, had, he was having issues with the playbook. You may remember there was a game in 2008 very early in the season in San Diego, it was a Monday night game where Favre had no idea where the Jets receivers were running. I mean, he's throwing interceptions left and right. His guys were running different routes than he was expecting. So from that standpoint, the Rodgers deal is better. First of all, Rodgers knows the system because it's, you know, it's the offensive coordinator he knows in Nathaniel Hackett. But second of all, it's going to get time to work and you know develop, uh, develop bonds with Garrett Wilson and all the other receivers. And he already knows Alan Lazard. So I think from that standpoint, the Rodgers deal is a little bit better. It's difficult to compare this to the, to the other ones, though. It's difficult to compare it to Sanchez. It's difficult to compare it to Darnold. It's difficult to compare it to Wilson because those were long-term plays. Now, I think, you know, Darnold is comparable to this in from the standpoint that Jets gave up a lot to get Darnold. Jets also gave up a lot to get Rodgers. So I guess from that standpoint, it's comparable. Rodgers, again, though, is a rental. Um, with Zach Wilson, you know, there were... There are plenty of questions about how good Zach Wilson would be. I guess there were plenty of questions about how good all these drafted quarterbacks would be. But the Jets had the second overall pick. So it's difficult to say. And Mark Sanchez, the Jets traded up. Jets traded up, but they really did not give up a lot for how, for how far they've moved to get a quarterback. So I think the, of these, it's difficult for me to rank it You know, versus Darnold, uh, Sanchez, Wilson. I think you can rank it versus Favre. I think from the standpoint that the Jets gave up so much more, and I think the team was closer with Favre. The Favre was better. I think from the standpoint that Rodgers is going to come in and 
have an easier time operating, you know, understanding the system a little bit better, already having chemistry with one of the receivers, I think from that standpoint, the Rodgers deal is a little bit better. And our last question. John, I'm really annoyed the Jets gave up a likely 2021 number, a 2024 number one pick for Aaron Rodgers, and that means they cannot even draft a quarterback in 2024. What can they do in 24 if Rodgers is gone? Find another mediocre free agent? How do they draft a good prospect? Do they have to wait until 25? I'm tired of Woody Johnson's incompetence. Which team would be most interesting to follow? The Chiefs, the Eagles, the Bills, the 49ers? Well, as far as that last question goes, keep rooting for the Jets. Listen, it's been a very frustrating lifetime rooting for the... I was going to say a decade. It's been a very frustrating lifetime rooting for the Jets, if we're going to be honest. But one of these days, the Jets will figure it out. And you'll feel so happy that you stuck through it. So keep rooting for the Jets. Stay stay with the Jets. That's that's my advice on that front. I think the Jets are hoping Rodgers stays two years. Will he? I don't know. But I think the whole plan, I mean, I, I don't see how you make this deal if you think the guy's going to be here one year. Now, I'm sure at today's press conference, we're going to hear a lot from Rodgers. Rodgers is going to tell you he's going to be here. He's expecting to be here multiple years. We'll see what happens after the season, though. And I think it's a tough spot. It's possible to find a quarterback in the second round of the draft. You know, it's. I think, though, if Rodgers retires, the Jets are going to be right back where they were a year ago. The Jets are going to be right back to the same spot. They're not going to know what to do with their quarterback. So I think the plan right now for the Jets is for Rodgers to play at least two years. Will he? I guess we'll find out in a year. That's all for today's episode. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day is our motto. As always, if you enjoy the show, hit the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you'll never miss an episode. If you're listening on a podcast for us, please give the show a five-star review. Watching on YouTube, big thumbs up for this episode. Helps the podcast out. Helps other Jets fans find Locked On Jets. Have a great day, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm sure we're going to talk Aaron Rodgers. I'm sure we're going to talk NFL Draft.